for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. Now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin'. Let's begin. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. So good to have you back here. It is August 16th, and I'm excited about this week's Hot Topic segment. We recorded an interview with Dr. Paul White. He's a psychologist, best-selling author of over 600,000 copies of his book to sold. He's a speaker. He is a family business coach. Also, he's the author of A Vibrant Workplace. He is co-author of the book, Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace, with Dr. Gary Chapman. Again, Dr. Gary Chapman wrote the books, The Love Languages, if you haven't read that most of you have i'm sure you're familiar with it but he's written a number of other books i encourage you to listen to the hot topic segment want to also say to our friends at industry syndicate how pleased we are to be a part of the organization at industrysyndicate.com encourage you to check out all the podcasts there and also i want to say a special thank you to our sponsors which of course is the mortgage bankers association of america as well as finastra with their fusion mortgage bot solution sets the customer standard with their decision parameters and helping streamline and the approval process process while keeping their lending team compliant and efficient. So great technology and some new things they have going on. Check it out. Be sure to get a hold of Dan Putney or one of his sales team to give you an update on all that's going on. If you have a, a contract that's renewing, you really need to check out what Finastra is doing. Third largest fintech company, and they are leading the way. Also check out Lenders One. I encourage you to become a member of Lenders One. Also, we're part of the Mortgage Collaborative, another co-op that does a great job of collecting lenders and vendors and then creating peer groups. Both these co-ops create peer group connections that are so meaningful. I also want to say a thank you to Community Mortgage Lenders of America, as well as Incelerate, as well as Knowledge Coop, as well as the Mobility Mortgage Market Intelligence Platform, and Modex, as well as our regulars, Rob Van Raphorst, Les Parker, Alice Alvey, Alan Pollock, and Matt Graham. I'm excited to have on the podcast today, Dr. Paul White. He's a best-selling author of a book that I just love. It's Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace, based on Gary Chapman's bestseller book uh, that was number one on the New York Times seller list for many years. This book has sold over 500,000 copies, and it's based on the love languages, five love languages. Many of you have heard about it, but have you heard about it and how it's applied in the marketplace? Well, we've got Dr. Paul White joining us. He has spoken all over the world, and he is working a lot in leadership training, and he's got some wonderful tools. You'll see in the website, all of the links to his various websites. The one I want to particularly call your attention to is appreciationatwork.com. That's not an at sign, appreciation, the word at work.com. Check it out. Dr. White is a psychologist, speaker, leadership trainer who makes work relationships work. And he's been featured on many programs. He's on Fox Business, as I have been, many other places you can read about him. Google his name, Dr. Paul White. You'll see everything that's out there. Rather than getting into his extensive, very successful background and bio, I encourage you to go to our website, look at on landing and check out the write-up on Dr. Paul White. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. White. So good to have you here. Thanks. I'm glad to be with you. Well, I am a fan of your work, but it's a recent fan. Oh, 
oh my, how I wish I had discovered you a long, long time ago. I think you would have saved me for some trouble, but also made me a more effective manager. And a lot of what we want to do with this podcast, we have so many leaders in the industry that listen to this podcast. I want to help equip them today with this very important message. Now, many people are familiar with Gary Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages, but I have always used them, but I've always struggled to find a way to use them in the marketplace. And then one of my clients says, oh, are you aware of Dr. Paul White's book, his MBA program? And I go, I'm Sadly not. And it was Emily Farley of Atlantic Bay Mortgage, who I'm coaching and having the privilege of being in her life. And she says, go check it out. So I went to your websites and I've discovered you and I am a big, big fan of you. And I just met you. So it's a real honor to have you on the podcast. You know, most leaders look at the word recognition and they mistaken it for appreciation. They're not the same. And could you explain to our audience why employee recognition differs so much from a authentic appreciation. Yeah, absolutely. It's in its a core sort of foundational principle. And that is that recognition really is primarily about performance. And when employee recognition programs are designed well and implemented consistently, which they aren't always, but when they are, they work well for what they were designed, but they weren't designed to help individuals feel valued and appreciated. And so uh, actually a lot of groups that have tried that get negative feedback because it feels pretty put on and disingenuous. The flip side is appreciation really is about the person. We believe that people, employees have value as individuals beyond what they do, that they're not just production units. Yeah, you got to get work done and we want to reward that. But there are times in our life where we're not at the best, whether that's I had twin sons, I didn't sleep much for the first couple of years or, you know, health problems in the family. And so what we found is that recognition only touches about the top 10 or 15% of all employees. That leaves a big middle group of 50 to 60% of your good solid team members that don't hear anything. And that really puts them at risk for taking off and leaving. So I think we start looking at what we can anticipate if someone's not speaking and valuing them and appreciating them. There's some fairly predictable negative results. But what have you seen, other than the obvious, they quit, that the company's experience, and I've heard it said they never could leave a company, they leave their employer or their boss. I think. Yeah, you know, that's actually sort of the way that I heard it was people don't leave a job, they leave the manager. And that's less true than it used to be because uh, younger employees really are more focused on collegial and peer relationships. And, you know, one of the languages is quality time. And I tell leaders that just because one of your team members has quality time as their primary language doesn't mean they want time with you. They want to hang out with their friends and you go out to lunch with their friends, go out afterwards, go to sports. And so, yeah, we know that almost 80% of the people that leave voluntarily leave a job because they don't feel valued or appreciated. So there's that aspect. And then follows all the other kinds of things of negativity, poor morale, cynicism, actually increased employee set, lower productivity, lower profitability. We've got great research demonstrated in our book that shows that it's really sort of like oil. Appreciation is like oil in a machine that, you know, machine rubs together and creates friction and tension and sparks and heat. But with oil, it flows better. And that's really what appreciation is. It's not just the touchy-feely. We want people to feel good or happy. That's nice. But really what we want is for the organization to function well. Well, I can't wait. We are going to be talking about it, posting your book and that we'll talk about that in just a minute. But you touched on quality time. Let's talk about the other four love languages. And the words of affirmation is mine. I love it when I get affirming words. It's fortunately my first boss discovered that early 
early on and it kept me there for a long time and I wish I had branched out longer. But talk about each one of these, starting with the words of affirmation, some of the characteristics. And by the way, listeners, we're going to have this all in the website. If you go to the mbainventory.com, you'll see it on the website and there's a little description on there. I encourage you to check it out. But run through that real quickly for our listeners, if you would, Dr. White. Sure. Yeah. And let me give you the proportions as well. We've had over 275,000 people take our online assessment. So we've got some good data. Oh, so well. words of affirmation are simply that. They're words that are affirming. We tell people what we value about them, what uh, we really appreciate about them. The key for effective words is for it to be specific. People mm. don't want to hear good job. That doesn't say much. It doesn't take much thought. And so the more specific you can be, the more like they're going to view it as genuine. And uh, words are the largest group, but it's still less than half. Most leaders think that appreciation is the same as words, but only 46% of the workforce choose words as their primary language. It's the biggest group, but it's not everybody for sure. Interesting. Quality time, like I mentioned, it can be individual time with your supervisor or for younger employees, it's hanging out with your friends and doing stuff together. And that's 26%. So about one of out of every four employees value time, but it's really important to get the right action. And that's part of what our inventory does, not only the language, but the action, acts of service. And we get back to quality time for just a minute, because I think we're noticing with millennials as we're seeing more and more millennials and Gen Zers enter the workforce, quality time would be, the, you talked about camaraderie. It's also quality time with their peers within the workplace that might be value. And sometimes, we're so intense about getting them back to work. Do your job, get back to work that we may be missing. That is a particular love language. And I, I want to stress on that just a minute. You, you want to expound on that just a little bit more? Sure, that it's really important for them to feel connected. And part of that is collaborating, doing things together, sharing ideas, learning from one another. Part of it is chit-chatting. And that if we sort of shut that down, you and I are both boomers and yep. we grew up in an era where, you know, you work and you talk at break. But for these uh, individuals, it, it really needs to flow. Now you have to set some boundaries about it, but we need to be careful about, you know, just sort of shutting them into their own office or cubicle and say, get on the phone and do your work because they really need that and want that support from one another. I stress that because there are so many millennials entering the workforce and specifically the mortgage lending. You get into boundaries. One of my other favorite books is Boundaries for Leaders by Dr. Henry Cloud. Talk about acts of service. How can acts of service show up in the workplace? Yeah, acts of service, it's not rescuing a low performing colleague. Rather, it's the small things that you can do that help make their day or week go better. And the best sort of example of that is when you're working on a time limited project and you are pushing hard, you're working hard, long hours. What's something somebody can do to help make that go better. And that could be as simple as bringing in lunch so you can work from your desk. It could be, you know, managing any incoming calls so you can stay focused on the project. It could be maybe you're willing to delegate some of it and they can go do some research where you can get the data and save your time that way. And it's one out of every five, 22%. And they're the kind of people who say, words are cheap. Don't tell me you care or, you know, want to help show me. And I, as CEO, said my language is get her done. Don't give me stuff. Don't talk to me. Just help me get stuff done. I know you're on my team. That's so good. Then you get into tangible gifts. Expound on that. And where is that inappropriate and appropriate in the marketplace? Well, you know, tangible gifts from our perspective, it's not bonuses, raises, big monetary kinds of things. It's really small things that show that you're getting to know one another at a personal level. And interestingly, it's only 6% employees want tangible gifts as their primary way of being shown appreciation. Not that they're going to give it back, but I've had a number of people say, you know, if I never hear anything, nobody stops by, check in on me, helps me out when I'm, you know, need a little help, but they give me a gift. And especially if it's from the company and feels pretty superficial. Now, gifts can be meaningful when they're matched with one of the other languages, uh, mm -hmm. words of time, but it's things like bringing in their favorite 
favorite cup of coffee. When you order in lunch, you make sure you get the right kind of pizza. Or if they're gluten-free, you get gluten-free pizza. It can be a magazine at the beginning of a sports season, you know, and they, their favorite team is, I don't know, the Jets or the Giants or whomever. And you get that for them and they enjoy that. It can be a, a gift card or just, you know, something small that just shows that you're getting to know them. So it's not a big monetary kind of deal. Yeah. So Jets and Giants, was it suggest that you're on the East Coast? <laughs> is that true? <laughs> no, I'm in the Midwest. I'm a Chiefs fan. So oh, you're uh, a Chiefs fan. All right. <laughs> Good. I am too. Well, talk about this one. And this one's particularly sensitive to me. It's physical touch. And for those of us, again, words affirmation number one by dominant, subdominant is a physical touch. This is one that has gotten me, I wouldn't say in trouble, but boy, I've come right up to the edge of not handling this, this wisdom. Talk about how do we express physical touch in an appropriate and also inappropriate way. The inappropriate seems to be well published on the workplace. Yeah. So the, the key factor is that whoever the recipient is, is the person that gets to define what the boundaries are for appropriate and inappropriate. There are some people I had one gal, she said, I don't want anybody to touch me anywhere at any time. And it was like, okay, there are other people like, you know, lived in Atlanta for a while and they do sort of side hugs kind of thing. And really what we found, two things. One is we didn't want to advocate a touchless society, even in the workplace, especially in healthcare settings, long-term care facilities. It's really important, but it is appropriate as we touch that we're emphasizing. Secondly, it happens. It's largely spontaneous celebration. It's a high five when you fix a problem. It's a fist bump when you uh, make a sale or a congratulatory handshake. And so it's there. It's less than 1% of the population that has it as their primary language, but clearly there are cultures and subcultures and regions that it's more important. Your listeners can't see this, but in, you know, in New York, physical touch is just nodding your head and saying, hey, from a distance. So that's all good. Yeah, it's it's one of those ones. I learned that from someone who had, unfortunately, a very, had been raped and they had a absolute no touch policy. I didn't discover that because we'd worked over the phone and remotely for so long. And we then got in there and the first instant was I just I really care about this person as a human being didn't even it's not even an opposite sex thing although it's a female and I just went to give her a hug and I could tell a bristle but then I saw her relaxing and she says Dave she says Addy is uh, you just got to learn to control that that's an impulsive reaction I think that's one of those things we have to be really aware from it what are some of the signals that we can pick up on from people is it as we approach him you see the stiffening in the back of the pulling away is there anything that it's only one percent of the population that's working for us so that's kind of interesting. Maybe if we tested the Borg's banking industry, because we seem to be a physical, healthy, touchy group. Yeah, you know, I think it is as you approach them and you can say, is it okay? You want to ask, you know, I give high fives or, you know, fist bumps. And if you're game for that, good. It's not appropriate to say, hey, I'm a hugger. I need to give you a hug. I tell people that you may think you need to give me a hug, but I don't need to get a hug from you. It's right. my boundary. So we got to be careful about that. But yeah, you're right. I mean, just watching the tenseness in their muscles in their face, if they start to look down, that's another cue or their eyes widen. So, and it's interesting. I mean, I dealt with a group that part of them were from New York City and the other part was from Charlotte and they were doing the merger and they absolutely did not know how to greet one another uh, because they were from two subcultures. You know, if you're careful and cautious, I think you wait until you see them. There's cultural issues as well with the Japanese, you don't touch, whereas, you know, our Latin friends are more 
physically oriented and that's part of their culture. Yep. I think it's just important to keep that in mind, listeners. So we talked a little bit about what happens when it's negative. Let's talk about the positive benefits of feeling appreciated. Talk about those in the marketplace. Sure. I mean, one of the key things is that people feel valued and when they feel valued, there's a sense of loyalty that develops. There's also a sense you hear a lot about employee engagement and engagement is essentially just being there physically, but mentally and emotionally being engaged and wanting to do well. And so, yeah, we see increase in productivity. One of the interesting things is we see an increase in creative problem solving because problem solving takes emotional energy. And if you feel like nobody cares or gives a rip, you're not going to put it forth. You're going to just drop it or hand it off to somebody. And that also relates to increased customer satisfaction ratings that when people feel valued, they tend to treat people positively and help get things done. And so it's really a very positive cycle and spiral upwards that goes forward. I think it's really important. We were talking just a minute ago about physical touch. I started a bank 47 years ago. I know that dates me, but I remember we had a consultant come in to talk to us and they ran an experiment with the tellers and went back because we used to come in and everything was done over the teller counter right. and across the cage. And they interviewed people as they exited and they said the teller would just go and touch the hand, just a little bit of a touch on the hand and say, thank you so much for coming in. They measured and the results of just that little bit of an expression and the perception of the employee and how it had a dramatic you know, reflection on what that customer thought of the employee. So I think there's many things we can apply to this. We've already covered the five languages of appreciation in the workplace, but I'd like to get some more insights to how do they work in a daily work life? If you could give some good examples of some things that have talked about that merger, for example, two very different <laughs> subcultures coming together. Talk about this a little bit. The key is that it's about the person and that you need to know what makes another person feel better or appreciated. And so that's a talent we call perspective taking ability. And to be honest, we have not figured out another way to really find out what a person's language or the actions are besides having them take our inventory. Because, you know, if I ask you, you know, Dave, how, how should I show you appreciation if I want to do that? It's a weird question in our culture. And I'm probably going to get, I don't know, tell me thanks. And that's about it. So what we've done is really created this simple online assessment. Yeah. It takes about 15 minutes, gives you your language, your actions, and from whom they want it. And then what what is critical is to start using it. And one of the key pieces that we work with business leaders, especially, is that it's not the manager or supervisor's sole responsibility to do this. We teach team members how to show appreciation to one another, partly because they want to know how to encourage one another. They value it from one another. And also the manager can't carry the full weight of responsibility. And so a key aspect for success is teaching the team members how to show appreciation in a way that's meaningful to their other team members as well. And the other part is just if you get the action right, it doesn't take much to really make a difference. We don't want people just shotgunning, you know, sending out group emails or checking in and seeing how everybody's doing. What a waste of time. Everybody's busy. We want to help make you effective by giving the specific actions that are going to be meaningful to each of your team members. And we talk about how everyone's so super busy, especially managers, and they all have plenty to do. So if you could give us some insights on how they can find time to show appreciation to their team members or just across the organization, what effective ways? We know emails, you just mentioned that. What are some effective ways to do that? Yeah, so, I mean, emails are fine. You just don't want to do a group blast email to everybody because it's not about them as a person. The thing about busyness we found is that, first of all, we're not going to give you another to-do list of you got it. You know, everybody's got at least two to-do lists, more than enough. 
what we want to teach you is how to do what you're already doing or almost doing, tweak it a little bit to get to the heart of the matter. And the key part about that is when your team members actually do feel valued and appreciated, a lot of the things that are eating up your time actually sort of melt away. When people don't feel valued, they're sort of more easily irritable, upset about stupid little things like, you know, what size their monitor is or whether they got a window. All that stuff goes away so that you not time and energy isn't taken up dealing with these non-productive kinds of meetings and discussions and help you be able to just stay focused on task. And it's amazing. The other part that happens is there's a collaboration that happens that people help one another out because it's not just about individual success and production, but it's about the team and caring for each other and know that when one person does well, you know, it helps the rest. How do you determine what appreciation language and actions are important to each of the employees? I'm assuming the inventory is a great way to start. Are there other ways? Yeah. The only other way that I know of that is sort of a side door is to ask people that when they're discouraged, what encourages them? Because encouragement and appreciation are pretty much the same thing, except for time focus. Appreciation is about the past. Encouragement is about the present and future. So if you can get a sense of, you know, when you're discouraged, what sort of picks you up? That's going to give you a clue. That's about the best you can do. You don't have enough data points to sort of observe them like you would in a personal relationship about what they do or what seems to sort of, you know, jazz them. And in fact, we have research that shows that just about 75% of the time people use the languages that are most important to them, but at least 25% that don't, and especially gift givers. Gift givers often like to give gifts, but they don't necessarily like to receive gifts. So you have to be careful about sort of inferring that. That's so fascinating. You know, how do you communicate a pre- appreciation with remote employees. We're all working remote more and more. And I don't know that that trend is not going to continue. I think it will. So we've done research actually pre-COVID with people that are working remotely versus on-site and then just published a research that was cited in Psychology Today and in Strategic HR with 200,000 people to look at pre-COVID, during COVID, remote, on-site. Largely, the languages stay the same, but one of the key issues is that the actions have to differ in that when you're dealing with a remote employee, you've got to be proactive about it because you don't have those spontaneous interactions where you see them at the break room or coming in or you're walking by their office and you stick your head in. If you don't proactively seek them out, check in or to, you know, give a word of encouragement, it's not going to happen. Secondly, it needs to be include their peers. It's not just about the manager. And so one of the things we've done and other groups have done, you know, you have sort of a lunch remotely and we ordered in lunch for our team members at their place. And then we got on Zoom and talked and, and it was really the third part is personal because most Zoom interactions in Remote interactions are pretty task-oriented. It's about what you do, projects, budgets, and so forth. You don't have the time to talk about, you know, the game this weekend or what you did with your grandkids or whatever. And so we help teams sort of set aside time either before or after the conference call, or we encourage people to maybe text people and say, hey, I'd like to check in with you for five or 10 minutes, see what's going on, and then just talk and find out and share some about what you did. I think that's so important. There's so many ways you could find out what you're doing. We're going to get to those in just a minute, but I was really touched by a LinkedIn post. You just posted an hour before we got on this recording to this interview. And it said, and the reason I bring this particular up, it's the, the article is, is should we focus on mental health in the workplace? The reason I'm thinking about this is I'm thinking of more than one company that I'm consulting to right now, where there are key staff have crossed over into a mental health condition, or hopefully it's temporary. How do you handle that? 
talk about this article. I'm a bit of a rabble rouser, David, in that I push back on the media and some business leaders where they talk about mental health in this very global, vague kind of way. We need to pay attention to mental health. Well, you know what? I don't say, hey, man, I'm feeling mentally healthy today. I mean, we don't talk about that. It's more specific. It's, you know, am I discouraged, depressed, anxious? You know, I'm struggling with sleeping or physical issues. And we sort of whitewash it. I think people like to sort of say they talk about it, but they don't really deal with it. And the issue, again, is getting down to the personal level and making sure when you see somebody that's discouraged or you see some patterns of behavior, they're coming in late regularly, look like they haven't rested well, they're leaving early, whatever. You want to sort of stop and probe and say, hey, what's going on? I'm a little concerned and relate to them as individuals. Don't set up a program about mental health stuff for your team. I mean, that's okay, but that doesn't really get it done. Yeah, I think that's how it came about in this particular case that one of the owners of the company noticed one of their executives had there was a bit of a behavioral challenge. And that really gets into some of your background. I wanted to get right into the content so that people could experience this book. And folks, you can go out and get this book. It is just such a valuable book. The Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace. It's a great book. I recommend it. We have a link in our podcast notes. Be sure to check it out, listeners. But you are a psychologist. How in the world did you get into this? And how did you connect up with Dr. Gary Chapman? Yeah. So I grew up in the context of a family-owned business. And and then I went off and became a psychologist. And partway through my career, some business consultants contacted me that knew of my background. And because they kept running into family issues, 85% of all the companies are family-owned. And they were running into some buzz zones. And so I wound up initially consulting with you know family members not getting along, but quickly moved into business succession planning because you've got to involve the family in that. And so it was through that. I was consulting with a, a big construction firm in North Carolina, talking to the dad and CEO and said, you know, how's the succession plan going? He says, I think it's going well. My son's stepping up and we're going to be okay. I walk across the hall, ask his son the second question. And he says, this is a disaster. It's never going to work. I can't ever please my dad. And at mm-hmm. the same time, my wife and I were rereading the five love languages because I'm sort of a slow learner in this kind of stuff. And I thought, you know, I wonder if this could help in workplace relationships. So I actually pursued Dr. Chapman for a year, finally got a meeting with him and sort of pitched the idea. He was interested in the idea of the online assessment, did that, and then also developed some training materials to help people in groups apply it. And then he and I wrote the book together and it's done well. We sold over 500,000 copies. So that's not bad in the business world. Excellent. Very successful book. Also, you have a certification program. I personally was very encouraged by that. I'm going to look into that and get certified myself because I think that's such an important topic. Talk about the certification program. Yeah. And, you know, I grew up professionally in the not-for-profit and social service world where people give a lot, emotionally drained, don't have much money for training. So I wanted to create a low-cost training program. So we developed an online training program called Appreciation at Work. And our website is appreciationatwork.com. It's the word at, not the the at sign. And it's about a two-hour self-paced program that has with it videos, PowerPoints, handouts, a facilitator's guide that allows you to take multiple teams through the process of learning how to show appreciation to one another. It can be done in a series of one-hour sessions over a series of weeks, or it could be done in a half-day or a day session. And, you know, we've had a thousand people take it. We've got our stuff is used in over 60 countries. So it, it seems to be working well, and we've been in numerous languages and all that. So yeah, people can check that out and either for them or if they've got an HR director, or we also have consultants that are trained that can come in and do it for you. I like the internal consultants. I work a lot with Patrick Lencioni and the table group and the Kappa Pro group, and I'm part of that group. And I'm looking at workplace health. That's something Patrick is so passionate about. You share that passion. I just love the material. I love the website. We're going to put all of the links in your website. 
I am going to encourage every one of my clients, supervisors, down to the supervisor level, to go through that certification. When I saw at the affordability, how affordable it was, and the time it takes, it right. equipped you with tools. And I'm so grateful for what you're doing. It is a wonderful work. I think it's a ministry in the marketplace that could quite honestly benefit every single business owner or every single manager, executive throughout the whole organization. Check it out, folks. Dr. Paul White, thank you so much for being here. What a joy to meet you. And again, congratulations on your success. I'm going to be helping contribute to that. Yeah. Thanks so much, Dave, for your enthusiastic support. It's really valued and appreciated. Thanks it's so much. Great. Thank you very much. Well, that wraps up this week's Hot Topic segment and this podcast. Thank you so much for being here. I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, Finastra, CMLA, Lenders One, Incelerate, Mobility MMI, Modex, MBA, and Knowledge Coop, as well as the Mortgage Collaborative. So be sure to come back next week. Have a great week, everybody. Look forward to having you back here next week. You've been listening to Lickin on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.